Welcome to the Edge of NFT podcast with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. We aim to bring you not only the top 1% of what's going on with NFTs today, but what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, but also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the futurists and dreamers, the disruptors and creators, the fans and connectors, and the makers and doers that are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. And on today's episode, we have two guests, Kurt Brigette and Jeremy Bourne. Give you a little bit about each of them. So Kurt is the Chief Technology Officer and Co-Founder of NFT Genius. Before founding NFT Genius, Kurt worked for 15 years as a software engineer shipping web and mobile applications from corporate products to niche blockchain products. In addition to co-founding PopStand Incorporated, an LA-based software company, Kurt has architected a number of applications within the blockchain and crypto space, including Chirp.LA. He is a serial entrepreneur who has been financially backed by Tim Draper and Lionsgate Entertainment and has been active in the NFT space since CryptoKitties hit the market. Kurt has since helped ideate and engineer some of the biggest projects in the NFT space and embarks on NFT Genius as his next passion project. He's fluent in Chinese as well. Let's give a little bit about Jeremy. Jeremy Bourne, he's the CEO of Coin Genius and co-founder of Bitcoin Origins. Before founding NFT Genius, Jeremy worked in digital marketing for top companies around the globe. In 2016, he brought his expertise in digital strategy and enthusiasm for blockchain and digital disruption to the crypto industry, where he fought to increase transparency and pioneered crypto analytics to empower all traders with equal access to high quality data. Jeremy soon recognized the growing potential of NFTs to pave the way for mass adoption within the blockchain industry and launched his first NFT project with NFT genius, Bitcoin Origins. Now regarded as a thought leader and industry expert within the NFT space, Jeremy is focusing his efforts on bringing music to the world of NFTs and giving power back to the creators and artists themselves. Guys, welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. It's great to hang out with you guys. Kurt, it's been a minute, man. Gosh, we've all known each other for like four or five years. Wow, times have changed, huh? Yeah, for sure. And that little tip you gave me yesterday actually really helped me a lot, by the way. You told me about that dent pump and I like totally forgot I held some of that. But yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, no worries, man. It's easy to lose track of all these fun alts, but you've been busy building some amazing stuff. And it looks like not only as the world woke up from COVID, but there's so much great stuff happening and in, in building going on in, in the ecosystem with a real focus on NFTs. And gosh, we've been talking about that for years. What was your reaction when, when everything woke up and folks got excited about NFTs again? Well, so me and Jeremy, we created this fucking amazing team basically, right? And we were like very well positioned it was kind of taking off a little bit, but I think it went places where we couldn't really predict. A couple years back, no, nobody wanted to talk about NFTs really. It wasn't a topic of discussion. If you brought it up, it was like almost a conversation killer because you know crypto was actually more exciting than the collectible side. But like now you see where it's gone and I feel like it's, it's gone to a place where I never predicted. That's just like straight up where it is. It's almost like a little too crazy. Like I was seeing that somebody, uh, one of these tennis players was selling their skin as an NFT, like a part, a part of their skin. And it's just like, what the fuck is going on? You know what I mean? So some of it is a little bit crazy to me, but yeah. Yeah, I think the first time we met, if I recall, was at one of Zach's events in Venice Beach with uh, one of the founders of Crypto Kitties. I think that's where we originally met. Yeah, with the team, with the original Crypto Kitties team. Yeah, that was an amazing event, actually. It was like 10 of us drinking some beers at, at the whale. Yeah, just talking about the future. Anyways, not to get too nostalgic, we should we should talk about what you guys are up to. What's been going on? What have you guys been been building? I'll let Jay jump in here. Yeah, the NFT space is crazy. I just uh, feel lucky enough to be involved. A couple of years ago, nobody really cared about NFTs yet, other than the people that were selling them. So people like CryptoKitties, they were doing some really cool stuff, you know, and then 
the predecessor to that was, um, you know, CryptoPunks, which was like the first, which is this pixelated art. I thought it was actually pretty cool because it's generative art, which basically means that like they have 10,000 CryptoPunks and they're all unique one of ones. And it was really interesting, but nobody cared. Nobody knew about it. Right. It wasn't interesting yet uh, until people really started understanding, <clears throat> in my personal opinion, the world woke up to digital. There was this kind of, uh, you know, movement from the physical world to the digital world that had been happening over the years. And like we saw it happening in a, in a big way, starting in like 2008, all the way to like 2018, 19. But then as soon as crypto started pumping and when the world went into lockdown and people were forced to sit in their homes and actually consume digital goods and digital services in a whole new way, that's when crypto, in my opinion, really came into the limelight in terms of people understanding the power of a digital currency and a native currency that is powered by the internet. And in that same way, it made it really easy for somebody to understand why a Michael Jordan physical card can also be valuable as a digital card, right? And a pack experience, a pack of cards physically with a piece of bubble gum, take out the bubble gum, it's now a digital pack, you still open it, it still gives you that same rush, you know, of endorphins in your brain that makes you happy and excited uh, in that gambling aspect. And, you know, that was proven by companies like Tops and, you know, with their release of Garbage Bail Kids. So I got wind of things like Garbage Bail Kids. I saw what was going on. I put a few events on in the space. One of them was called NFT Day to kind of bring connectivity in the industry to all the thought leaders in NFT. So when no one was talking about, we were putting on conferences. We were trying to connect. And I was trying to learn about what was going on in the space. And from that conference, it freaking blew my mind because I saw what all these people were working on. I felt way behind the curve. They were already building metaverses and people were freaking renting out space in buildings. I was like, wait, you're renting out space in a digital world. Why would someone even buy that? When I realized why, it's because at the same time, it's like regular marketing that I used to do for Fortune 500 winner brand. It's all about eyeballs. So if there's a lot of people in one location, it's valuable, right? So this is kind of how I tripped into the space. And then we decided, let's just dive head first and, and start something. And even if we fail, like, let's just get in and figure it out. Kurt was already in the industry building stuff. So by the time him and I kind of, you know, merged together, it was a match made in heaven because I had these grand ideas and he's this guy who can actually build shit. And he already knew through trial and tribulation what not to do. Uh, when we came up with Bitcoin Origins, it was just this natural evolution of the first time somebody really outside of Nifty Wizards and things Kurt was working on, the first like larger scale version of bringing storytelling to NFTs. And that's what we did with Bitcoin Origins to help tell the story of Bitcoin. You know, one of the things we've been doing over the last few years is talking to big brands about what we were calling digital equivalents, right? NFTs. And it just didn't sink in with them at all. It was really hard to get their their interest in it. And then we just hit this tipping point here where now everybody is leaning forward into this. Do you think the big brands are taking a thoughtful approach to this or jumping in too quickly or you know, some other, you know, outcome here for them. What are your thoughts on these big brands? Most big brands have no idea what's happening. The ones where they have good managers, like let's say like athletes or musicians that have really good management teams that are really at the cutting edge of innovation. They're sitting on the clubhouse, you know what I mean? Talking about NFTs, they know what's going on and they're leading the charge to be able to get their clients in. The big brands, I mean, I feel like I just saw like Charmin, you know, they're going to put out like a toilet paper NFT. Like some people are just like messing around. Like it's so not meaningful. <laughs> and from us, it's almost like a slap in the face. It's because like we lead with story because we know that's how you engage with an audience. It's not just pulling a Gronkowski and just throwing a bunch of bullshit art into digital cards and just saying, hey, let's use my likeness to see if we can sell. Yeah, you can make a million bucks or whatever, but you're not going to make 10, 20 million bucks like somebody like Blau who saturated himself in the industry and became a thought leader, which is why this DJ, who's arguably not the biggest DJ in the world, and these massive DJs are like, how did this guy make 11 million bucks? They don't understand. It's because he's immersed fully and he's vested in the industry and he's a thought leader. So he put the time in to make sense out of it. And that's why he's winning. You know, tel Teletubbies, Teletubbies is now in the industry too. So you got to watch out for them. I don't know. There might be like an IFO or, or something like that. Right. And then another little point on that one is like me and Jay have actually, it's, it's kind of funny. We, we don't even know if it's real or not. We we've talked to some of the hugest brands and some of like the biggest celebrity, like probably 50 or so huge brands and huge celebrities just because of how crazy NFTs are right now. And, you know, when you have a business that's 
making money and has a good track record, it really gets you into a lot of very interesting meetings. And just kind of back to like your question, Jeff, it's like, how are these brands kind of digesting it? I feel like there's a lot of irrational behavior going on where they're scared because they're wondering if this is a new disruptive thing like the internet or something. Like it feels to these people like it's an internet level disruptive thing that might be happening and that they might be uh, missing out on it. And I, I think that perspective is probably really scary for them. I don't, I don't know if it's true or not. It could, it could be, right? Well, so when these guys are reaching out to you, what, what's your advice to them? How do you suggest that they approach this? We, we essentially just say like, if you work with us, we'll help you make money. Like that's, that's pretty much what we, what we say. Like if you work with us, we know what we're doing essentially. And we, we kind of try to help them out too. We've helped a lot of people. I mean, it's not like we work with all of them, but they, they have questions. They have a lot of different questions. Like which blockchain should they be on? What should these sets be like? Like how many should be in an addition? What is the nature of the media content? You know, what, what are, what are resource costs? Why is it so expensive to do this on Ethereum or something like that? They have all kinds of questions, like even to like, how do you market it? Even big companies that have huge marketing budgets and know what they're doing, you know, it's, they, they just don't know how to navigate through it. What's going to last uh, when, when you're building these projects like Bitcoin origins and, and talking to these brands? What do you see is is enduring in this industry in two or three years and what's going to go away? Yeah, from my perspective, there's two really key ingredients. One is there has to be a story, meaning it has to make sense. And we brought together some of the best storytellers in the world, including that of our head storyteller and creative director, Paul Jenkins, which basically was the third employee at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, helped save DC and you know uh, comics from bankruptcy back in the day and created Wolverine Origins. God of War, Civil War, like you name it, Spider-Man, Batman. He's been a part of all of that. And we brought him in because you need story to be able to convey a message, to be able to connect with an audience. And NFTs just as digital art, in our opinion, is not enough. And, and there are some obviously edge cases in terms of like people like Beeple. Does he need a story? Obviously not. You know, $69 million tells me that I'm wrong. But at the same time, that's not the entirety of the industry. If you're a brand, if you're a musician, you're an athlete, Coming into the space, it's like, you know, a digital collectible only gets you so far. But to me, it's almost like a waste, you know, like William Quigley from Wax, the CEO over there, talks about NFTs as their mini supercomputers. So if you have a mini supercomputer, like why would you only utilize one subset of functionality of a digital collectible tied to the blockchain? Like why not program it to do whatever the hell you want it to do and evolve over time with data that's driving the actual, you know, construction of the NFT or like why not tie it to geolocation and geofencing. So as the world opens back up, we have these immersive experiences to where NFTs are popping up like Pokemon Go. Like that's where it should go and can go. So to me, that's what brands and companies should be looking at in the industry and why Bitcoin Origins will last is because we've built the story. And then the second thing is community. You have to build a community and it can't be forced. It has to be organic. So the people that are coming in that will win will be really good at leveraging their fan base that they've already created. So if you have a million fans, how do you leverage that community and, and rally them around what you're doing in the NFT space? And you'll win if you do that effectively. Yeah. So it sounds like, again, marketing, kind of the fundamentals of really solid marketing and community building. Uh, Justin Wu, who we were talking to uh, the other day, I think you you also know, Jeremy, I heard him on, one, on your podcast. He, he underscored that point. And it feels like that's getting lost in the, the hype, maybe some of the technical aspects of NFTs, but really brings it back to fundamental marketing and community building with your followers. Yeah, that's right. I think many people forget that, <laughs> especially in the crypto space. I mean, you know, you think about people like in the ICO side of things, right? They're really good at it. So like, look at any new DeFi token. If they took that same approach with NFTs, you win, you know, but you win to an extent because everyone's speculating on the value of a coin, but it's no different than people speculating on the value of an NFT. You know what I mean? People on Nifty Gateway, are trying to press that button as quick as they can because they're trying to get that NFT before it sells out so that they can just go and flip it for 5X. As I've looked at you from afar before we had you on the show, it seems to me that you've kind of become a little bit of a crypto historian. Would you agree? Probably both of you, but... I feel like um, if you want to be effective at conveying a message and having people look at you as a thought leader, like, yeah, you have to know your shit. Um, but to be honest with you, I learned from people like Kurt. I know he's trying to sneak away right now, but... Um... <laughs> 
<laughs> he's uh he's probably trying to grab some more yerba mate um no but uh you know this guy's been in for you know over 10 years he was in way earlier than me so like i take a lot of lines and cues from from kurt in terms of like how this thing started but yeah i mean you know as a function of bitcoin origins alone like diving into the story of bitcoin and learning it from the ground up like why did it start what was the world like what were the inspirational pieces and projects that inspired bitcoin to exist i had to go through all of that and i had to become an expert because if i'm building obviously something that tells the story of bitcoin i better know what the hell is going on so that obviously translates really well into the entirety of the crypto space and how it all evolved and now to me it kind of makes perfect sense kurt so when you hear jeremy talking about you being someone that's helping him discover the history and the foundations and so on and so forth. My, my thought about it was kind of, he's a little bit more intentionally saying, and maybe it's because he's more recent to the space. I got to know the history. You know, I got to do the research. I got to get the foundation, but maybe you hadn't taken such a very specific approach to it. You've just kind of been there. So you've been, been part of the history or has that been something that you kind of collect these sort of moments of history and, and try to, you know, place yourself within it or, or figure out where the foundations came from. You know, I've just been kind of nerding out on it for a while. And so there's certain angles that I have that maybe, you know, especially coming from like I attack it kind of from an engineering angle, like I might not look at a set like it's kind of like my mind works a little bit more like an engineer, like I'll look at a set and I won't understand it from a customer's point of view. I might actually understand it by looking at the code. And then I learn through just a totally different angle because it's. I'm not the hugest collector, to be honest, like Jeremy will tell me stuff about a collection that I don't know about, like he'll tell me about a deeper experience about Top Shot. And I think that this is the reason why we make such a really great team, because I've been building actually I've been building in the crypto space for probably 10 years now. And a lot of what my angle is and, and what I think has worked for me is aligning with people that know what the fuck they're doing. Like they understand what is going on from like a customer's point of view, or they have a vision. When I first met Jeremy, like he pretty much convinced me in like two phone calls that he had a vision and it was very much aligned with what I wanted to do. I wanted to build a massive business around NFTs and, and collectibles in general. It's not just like NFTs because it's a hot thing. It's more about how do you build massive experiences, like massive collection experiences around like a vision, right? And so what we've done is actually build the story around Bitcoin's history that feels like it could be a movie or something. The collectors who who look at our stuff, they, they're like obsessed with it. You know, like one of our pieces, I think at today's market price, just one piece alone, Jay, I think it's like 300,000 uh, USD, uh, when, when you, when you adjust to today's market and that's just one NFT, you know what I mean? And like, it's a beautiful story. We have a whole production team that puts a lot of thought into it. Like, what is the nature of that? Like, how do we capture with illustration that, that event? I don't even know if that's been done ever before, but it could be like a cartoon or something or a, or a movie. And, and for me as a builder, I don't approach things that way. I think about how can you scale a business or how can you engineer for that? Or how can you program like yesterday, we just dropped this thing that I think is really fucking unique, right? It's we, we released an NFT that's like a gift that's sort of like a teaser. And then if you have that in your wallet, it's a key that opens a piece of content that's a video. And inside of that video, there's clues inside of it. And those clues lead to one Bitcoin as a reward. And so like, that to me is like these guys on, on the other side, on the production side are bringing these big ideas. And then on the tech side, we're like, here's how we can make that possible. It's just a really good synergy. That's what you look for as a technologist. You don't want to build something that doesn't have a great vision, right? That's amazing. And like, I'm, I'm envisioning maybe there is a movie that comes out, but one idea that came to mind from hearing you, Kurt, are we going to get into a future talk about Bitcoin origins from this use case perspective? where we go from digital to physical in sort of this metaverse concept where are there going to be Bitcoin origin locations in Decentraland? Are you guys going to start doing physical merchandise 
Is there going to be a Cartoon Network show about Bitcoin origins that comes out? And I, these ideas that you're thinking about where we, we sort of go from this digital world and go even broader? The answer is yes. All of these things we're exploring, um, you know, in some capacity. But yeah, go ahead, Kurt. Nice. <laughs> well, no, I mean, like Rebel Rabbits, which is sort of an offshoot of, of Bitcoin origins. If you If you look at it, it's like, even my mom was looking at it and like, this is amazing, you know, and like, she's seen a lot of stuff. I've shown her a lot of NFTs and she's just blown away by it. And so if you know, if like even, you know, quote unquote, normal people look at it and they're like, this is amazing. I think that there are like the point that Jay was making about story, like that's actually a huge deal to me, even though I'm looking at it from an engineering side, like to me, these things are experiences, they're stories, they're narratives. So like, if you wanted to ask what are these assets backed by, they're backed by an experience, they're backed by a narrative. So like when you look at it, you want to grow as you, you know, you, you start to think about where is it going next? And then, yeah, I mean, Josh, like straight up, yes. Like I could imagine this. And, and the thing is that we've already, we already have a guy on our team that helped build Ninja Turtles. So of, of course this could easily be cartoons and, and there's a whole different element to it that, that people are probably not really seeing right now. And, and there's a lot of irrationality right now too. Like to say that like, wow, we have these, like if it was ICOs, it would sound a little bit crazy now. Like in hindsight, it's like the ICO became a cartoon, but this is totally different. Like there's a, there's a substance behind holding, it's a toy, right? Like, so these toys, they have stories, they have functionality, like they'll work like Tamagotchis where like there are some kids that interacted with Tamagotchis, like they like literally in their mind, it was like their pet or their friend, you know, they're living and coexisting with these things together. You're interacting with them. They're your fucking friends and you have memories with them. Like that's kind of where I think it's going. I want the first Bitcoin origins hoodie, um, one of 500. So sign me up for that. Jay, where, where, where's our apparel at, bro? They're waiting on you to build the, uh, the sales site, man. <laughs> <laughs> Ball's in your court. As soon as that's ready, I know we're, we're just slightly busy, um, but that, that's definitely coming soon. People have been asking us about you know, merch in some capacity for a long time. People want digital prints and people are like, you know what, screw it, I'm not even gonna wait. So I've seen multiple people on Twitter that have done some really cool stuff where they printed this out digitally and they framed it and they put it in their office with these incredible cards from our collection. Uh, so it's just really cool to see. Yeah, I'm just reflecting on the value of these kind of intangible things. And and uh, I'm just listening to an interview with William Quigley the other day. He used to work for Disney, you know, and they're just talking about, you know, think about Mickey Mouse. Think about uh, Think about Disney and what is their brand? It's all IP. It's IP and leveraging it and using it in different places. And the concrete the value of the S&P is not what it used to be in terms of hard materials. It's all IP and conceptual things and, and software. And it's very interesting to see where these things are going. I'm a musician. I play piano. I play jazz piano. I'm very curious about your guys' general perspective on what's next with music, specifically as we go into NFTs and if possible address you know, the spectrum, you know, the people all the way down to just some indie creator who kind of wants to do something valuable with what they have all the way up to the top creators in the world who are making millions of dollars off their content. What do you see happening with music and NFTs? Yeah, you know, music for us is, is just really intriguing, not only because a lot of us on our team were musicians at some point in our career. So we just have an affinity for music. But, you know, I saw it pretty early on and I brought it to the team and just saying, like, guys, I promise you music is going to be the next big thing in NFTs and I want to get ahead of it. And they all said, like, let's go, let's do it. I saw people obviously coming into the space. You see some lower end musicians coming in that were doing some really cool stuff. And then now you're seeing the likes of you know, like uh, David Guetta, right? And you're seeing these huge people coming into the space. Uh, but once again, it goes back to story. Like for us, music is an extension of storytelling. They're telling a story about something, right? So whatever that song is, they're telling a story. Maybe it's relevant to their life. Maybe they just made it up and it's fiction, whatever the case may be. So for us, it fits right into our wheelhouse of everything that we're doing as these digital storytellers. So for us, working with musicians and helping them convey a message and translating that to a an incredible artistic digital experience that helps push us forward in terms of pushing the envelope around innovation. Like 
How can we create deeper experiences? So it's not just, as Kurt says, it's not just a GIF with music in the background. To us, that's not very interesting. And now we're seeing people innovate a little bit more. So tying physical back items or, you know, giving a, a one of one, which is a backstage pass that is a cool looking backstage pass, but it actually gives you the rights to go backstage. Like that's cool. But what's next? Like what's beyond that? And if you're seeing what's happening in the music industry, a lot of these things are happening in like a, a virtual environment. I've seen full virtual concerts, right? I think that's really interesting and that lends really well to the NFT space. So we're trying to think of it like, how do we push the boundaries? How do we get these musicians in, in a way to where it's not only thoughtful, a better way to tell stories, but really an extension of the music and create new experiences for their fans so they can engage with them in a way like never before. And that's where we see the opportunity within it. When can we expect something from you guys on that front? I think that you guys are going to see something probably within a month's time. There'll definitely be some announcements before then because we have, you know, some of the greatest people in, in music ever really backing us. And so we're really excited about that. And, and, you know, just kind of back to like what, what it means for music. Like we all just happen to have all of us on our team. Like we even have jammed together and made songs together while at work. I'm not going to say they're like super good or anything, but you know, when, when I first started looking at this problem from an engineering point of view, I started thinking about collectability of music that used to be a thing, right? Like people used to really get into their vinyl record collections I've been playing guitar, I think now for probably like 25 years or something. And I play drums. I, I've been singing for a really long time. It's just like a hobby. It's not like my main thing, but I've always had a really deep connection to music. And we kind of as a team sort of discovered that together. But there, there was something that I remember, like my favorite band is Radiohead, for example, right? How did I discover Radiohead? Well, this girl that I kind of had a crush on, maybe I was like 14 or 15, hand delivered me like a cassette that she made for me. And, and, it, and it had uh, the Benz on one side and OK Computer on the other side. And I was fucking blown away by like how amazing it was. It's like my favorite band ever. And there was this gift ability. There was a, a collectability behind it. Like making a playlist and sharing it with somebody that you care about and collecting the vinyl records, there was a collectability behind it, like opening those inserts and just really enjoying the artwork that came along with music, right? Like um, vinyl record artwork for albums was such a big thing, right? But what happened, I think, in streaming was that some of that stuff was lost. You kind of have like YouTube and it's kind of spread out and then these musicians kind of just back to your point, Ethan, it's like a lot of people are looking at NFTs right now as like a panacea for a lot of these creator issues. And, and I don't think that it is one, but I think it's a major improvement where I don't believe everybody's going to be able to, you know, engage their fans overnight with NFTs like a lot of people think. But will it be better than Spotify? The answer is fuck yes, it will be because you as a creator I can go and get a million plays on Spotify. To me, that, that should mean that you're famous as a musician. If a million people were willing to listen to my songs, that means that it's valuable content. Even if you think about that on Twitter, even just a piece of content that gets a million impressions, you're basically an influencer. But on Spotify, you, you can't even buy a fucking can of Coke or something with that, right? So it, it sort of feels like there's a, there's a big disparity with music where something happened in music. And I think it was because MP3s caught everybody off guard. It was like, oh shit, the lid's off on music. Cause, and I was even, I participated in that. I used to work at the skate park and we got these like new computers. And it was like, you, I wasn't even doing my job. I was just on Napster all day, just downloading the shit, right? And I think that what happened was that happened so fast that people scurried to build these kind of streaming businesses that I don't think were architected from the ground up to benefit the artists. And so I think that some of that's going to scale back now with NFTs, where now you can mint these things and engage with your audience directly and make more money. And it'll be a more rich music experience where I can collect, I can put together collections of, of music and I can gift them or sell them. You know, I can participate in exclusive music pieces, right? There's so much to the experience that was lost. And that's kind of like, what we're trying to bring back.
So you guys have a, a huge vision here. And with such a big vision, you need leaders to help construct that vision. Who are the types of, of leaders and entrepreneurs in the world that you're partnered with to make this happen? And how are you working with them? Yeah, it's a really good question. You know, in terms of uh, a round that we're about to close, can't talk about necessarily who's involved outside of the person that's already said it out loud. So Mark Cuban is backing our company because he's really excited about the future of music and NFTs and just the NFT space wow. in general. Um, so it's a huge feather in our cap. Really excited to be able to work with somebody of his caliber. And obviously you can just imagine of, uh, you know, who he might've brought with him to the table. So some of the biggest people in music, some of the biggest people in crypto in general are participating and we're really excited to announce it. But this is just like the first thing of, of many, right? So Bitcoin Origins for us was scratching the surface. We always had larger intentions in terms of what we could do. We're after creating really the foundation of what the entire NFT space is going to be built on. We're going big. We're trying to take it all, right? There's room for everyone. And that's why we create really incredible partnerships. That's why we collaborate with these incredible artists. I mean, some of the even ones behind you right there, we're talking to, we're collaborating with in some capacity. So we see this as like the tide rises all boats and we're just trying to lead the way and just move as fast as we can doing things with companies like Dapper, right? Dapper is at the top of the game. If you're not messing with Dapper in some way, like you're behind the curve, sorry, who else makes 60 million bucks in a day outside of people as an individual? Um, so, <laughs> I mean, it's just one of those things to where like, I really appreciate what they're doing. Um, I think that, you know, with the NBA, they brought this cultural element to NFTs that no one had before. That's like a cultural play, right? And people understand it. And it doesn't even matter if they release hundreds of thousands of packs. It doesn't matter. They still sell out and they still actually have really good resale value. Because I would argue that they're probably the first out of any company to actually penetrate a true fan base. They're actually bringing in NBA fans as to where you look at somebody like Blau as an example, and this is no, you know, talking to him, which is, you know, most of the people who actually bought the Blau NFTs were crypto lovers. They actually weren't even really his fans. Like, how do you get to the fans? And that's a mission of ours in the music space is our whole mission is getting to the fan base and getting these artists connected with their fans in a completely new way. And it's definitely challenging, but there's ways to do it. And if somebody has, you know, 20 million followers, can you imagine if you're finally able to penetrate that fan base and bring that into an NFT experience where they can just pay easily with a credit card and not have to worry about blockchain or any of these complexities, you're going to win in a big way. And so is the artist and their fan base. I, I almost don't want Jay to say what he just said because it's so fucking good. Like that right there is literally everything. If you just replay that part, that is what I think is going to basically happen. That's the kind of vision behind it. We have this fun segment. I don't know if you guys both have time for, but maybe at least Kurt, you can join us for, which is our quick hitters. Oh, fuck. You're going to put me on the spot? Hell yeah. Uh, I won't leave you alone. I won't leave you alone here. Okay, let's go. All right. All right. Awesome. <laughs> so this is the best part of the show. That has been a killer show so far. By the way, there is a, a Top Shots drop coming up in 15, guys. So <laughs> just saw about that. Well, hold on, hold on. Is it a common pack? Is it rare or legendary? Because that will determine what I do right now. Yeah, exactly. By the way, Jeremy, I forgot. I fucking love garbage pill kids. Like I, I had so many of those. I totally forgot. It was in the back of my memory in this like, adrenaline rush of joy and euphoria came into my head the moment you said garbage pill kids and i think that's what we're talking about here that, that's what got me first right because i saw garbage pill kids and i missed out on the first sale and it was like it they had i think it was like hundred and ten thousand cards let's just say ten thousand packs or something like that um at nine dollars and 99 cents and 19.99 each just depending on how many cards are in the set and they sold out in 28 hours and i was like wow so digital cards are like a thing people will buy them I thought 28 hours was impressive. And then they partnered with Tiger King and came out with their second release and it sold out in an hour. I'm like, oh shit. Cause they doubled the count. That was like over 200,000 cards. And then they brought out William Shatner with wax. I'm like, William Shatner, how does that even work? So he just took photos from his photo album at home, put them into cards. So it wasn't even like crazy artistic at all, but it worked because it engaged with the fan base once again. And people just wanted these. And it, I think it sold out, I don't know, in like 20 minutes. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was like even less than that. And then blockchain heroes came out and sold out in nine minutes. And then like, it just kept increasing in terms of like how quick people would sell out. And then you get to Bitcoin origins. We came out, we sell out in like a, a second, right? We just saw the space evolving so quick. And I'm going to say a quote that I've said to so many people, which is NFT time 
is different than any other time on earth. One day is equivalent to six months. So you have to have that mentality coming into the space. And if you don't, you literally will get left behind. And that's going to be the hardest problem with these large brands going back to your original point is they can't move quick enough, right? There's just too much red tape. So people like us and startups, because we're nimble and we can move a lot quicker, we're going to have the advantage in this type of marketplace. Then you guys should be great. Our quick hitter uh, at segment, because this is all about thinking on your feet. It's a great segue. Yeah. Quick hitters. Let's hit it. I'll, I'll throw out the first one. I'll let Jeff maybe take the rest because this is kind of his thing, but I'm going to pick Jeremy to go first. Maybe you both can answer it one after the other. It's a quick answer. First question is, what is the first thing you ever purchased with your own money that you can remember right now? It was literally a pack of cards at a grocery store. And I remember doing it. I think honestly, the first time I ever spent money was gambling. I gambled some money on fantasy sports when I was like barely young and young enough to talk. Awesome. You uh, crypto guy from, from birth. Hey, what's the first thing you ever sold for your own money? Oh man, lots of stuff. I was like the king of lemonade stands, but it wouldn't even be like lemonade was just the appetizer. <laughs> like I put together games. I got like, I remember this Beavis and Butthead package I put together because I used to go to card shows because I used to be a huge like basketball card collector, just getting every Michael Jordan I could. And I remember setting up a table and it was a ping pong table and be lemonade on this side for like, you know, to attract the moms and them and to bring their kids over. And then once the kids are over, I'd hit them hard with the gambling games. Right. So I'd have a dice game that I got from these card games where it was like, if you roll four sixes, you're going to get the Beavis and Butthead ultimate package, which is a T-shirt I want out of claw machine, uh, a, a Beavis and Butthead pog set and like something else ridiculous. So. At a very early age, like I was trying to sling some stuff and, uh, you know, I think I made like 120 bucks that day. So it worked out pretty well. Kurt, can you beat it? No, I, I think the first thing, honestly, that I sold was uh, a comics. I had some comics that I sold. I used to collect Spawn. So I was really into Spawn when I was younger. So right on. Yeah. what is the last thing you purchased? Starbucks coffee. <laughs> I bought a pair of uh, swimming shorts, <laughs> some retro swimming shorts. What's the most recent thing you've sold? NFTs. A company? <laughs> ah, yeah. There you go. Nice. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. Beat me. Is that true? I don't That's know. True. We'll take it. Yeah. What's your most prized possession? My most prized possession is, is honestly just like the state of my mind. That, that's all. Very philosophical. No, for me, I mean, you know, I'm a father. So, you know, the, the early photos and stuff of my kids being born and like photo album getting married and stuff like that. Like those are huge prized possessions. That's personal. So I feel like that question has to be, it has to be broken up into two parts. One is like personal life and then business life. And then on the business life side, you know, for me, I read a book by Mark Cuban, which is serendipitous, obviously, that he's going to be investing in us. He influenced my life and the, the business side in a positive way and really impacted me by just a few things that I heard from his book, which is how to win at the game of business, because he has that sports mentality and he just kind of like grinded from the ground up, ate the ramen and like slept on floors and whatever the case may be. And I never had to sleep on a floor necessarily, but he basically said something that really spoke to me because as an entrepreneur, you, there's lots of failures that are associated with it. And it's really hard, especially if you're like married and stuff like that, right? Say like, hey, yeah, this one didn't work out again. Um, you know, but it keeps you going because this entrepreneurial spirit that I have is, you know, he said something to where all you have to do is get one yes. You only have to get it right one time. And that's kind of what kept me going. And finally, he is the one who actually gave me the yes, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. So of all that, is it the book that's your prized possession? Is it the advice within it? Is it the yes that he gave you? Yeah, I didn't. I guess I didn't freaking answer that. Right, yeah, good question. It's the book and the email of the yes. The whole experience. If you could buy anything in the world, any item in the world that's currently for sale, what would it be? I'd buy Kurt a new hat for sure. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Like maybe, is it time to swap it out yet? Um, no. Okay. So like, I'm going to go like super fucking materialistic on this one. <laughs> like if, if I just had like endless amounts of money, okay. Like I actually really like the Tesla Roadster. And if you guys know me deeply, like it'll probably sound really random because like, I don't give a fuck about like what I own at all. I was raised so poor. It's like, I feel lucky every day, literally. But if I had to get that prize 
Ruby that, that I really need, it would be a, a Tesla Roadster because I'd love to zip around at 300 miles per hour here and there. Well, saving the environment. All the shit you guys got going you on, go. you need it, man, for sure. It's amazing. Uh, okay, shifting gears a little bit. If you could pass on one personality trait of yours to the next generation, what wait, would it wait, be? Wait, wait, wait. We didn't get Jeremy's purchase. Oh, come on, man. I thought I got out of that. I couldn't I couldn't land on one. Thanks thanks for the save, Ethan. Man. Get materialistic, man. You know, this is, this is kind of weird. This just came into my mind. It's like something that I, I just feel like the world needs. It's like if I had like ultimate amounts of money, it's not about like an island or anything materialistic. It's really about like, how do you leave your mark? Like when you have kids, you really want to focus on how do I leave this world a better place than I found it, which is kind of cliche, but it's really true because this world is pretty messed up really at the end of the day. So like, how do you breed or, or train a new generation to kind of focus on like how they can really truly impact the world? And to me, it's about building this incredible like schooling system slash university where it actually trains people on what to do in real life, where the people that are teaching the courses are from Apple. They're from, you know, startups. They're from these big corporations that they literally come in and teach you like what the heck you actually need to know because the stuff that we usually get taught, most of it is unfortunately useless in the world. Like how do you train the next generation to actually build the next Amazon, to build the next Alibaba, whatever the case may be, at an earlier age so that they have like a fighting chance and there's some sort of even playing field. So for me, it would be something similar to that where we're congregating the smartest people in the entire world from a business standpoint and the best entrepreneurs in the world to teach the younger generations and how to, to really innovate and move this ball forward. Bam, drops the mic. Awesome. So uh, to follow up then on that other question I had here, the next one is if you could pass on one personality trait of yours to the next generation, what would it be? I, I think for me, I, I consider myself pretty lucky to come from a, a line of dudes in my family that just kind of didn't really give a fuck about following a lot of the things in society that you should probably do. And, and I feel like I was also very lucky to not be interested in school at all. And I, I didn't go. And I, I feel like what happened for me personally was that once I decided I didn't want to do what I was supposed to do, like, for example, I didn't realize I was interested in science until I left school. And then I realized that I just have like an insane appetite for literature and sciences and stuff. And so what I like to pass down to, because I have like six nieces and nephews. And one of the things I like to show them is like, look, you can do whatever you want to do. You don't have to follow these kind of monotonous routines. And so for me, I, I would love to pass that down to people. Just do what you really want to do. It's not a big deal. Right on. Jeremy? Fearlessness, right? Just not afraid to do anything. Uh, not afraid to go after your dream. Not afraid to go after something that's controversial. Just like, I already know what I'm going to do in life. And people think I'm crazy and I've known it from a young age and I'm just literally fulfilling it every day and I'm fearless in doing so. And I think that's kind of like the guiding light for me. I'm learning that from Jeremy. Right on guys. we got a couple more. So I know you guys are short on time. So there's just, a, what are the two more, three more, something like that? We got three more. We're good. No, if you could eliminate one personality trait from the next generation, what would it be? It's like tangential to what I just said. It's like fear. Cause like fear drives everything, right? Fear drives racism fear drives you know like war um you know the fear of like what don't i have or like if i don't do something or if i don't make some decision or make some offensive move will i lose land will i lose myself like all these things like fear is the biggest driver of conflict and if you release yourself from fear then you have the ability to see things in a whole new way and potentially even come together and find a common ground yeah, for, for me, one one that comes up a lot is that I think that the the next generation is going to have to loo lose some of their planet centrism, because I feel like people are really, really kind of bound to the planet. There's a whole universe of space out there. And like, not to go too like Star Trek, but like, I really do think that the next generation is going to have access to space, just like we had access to new lands with railroads and shit. And I think that they're going to have to open their eyes to like really rethink how we can expand. And that is like, to me, just in the next generation, for sure. In a way, Decentraland and projects like that are, are getting us started there, right? You know what, that brings up a really good point is 
for the next generation because my kids, everybody else and you know, Gen Z and beyond is they grow up on digital devices. Like their entire world really is less physical than it is digital. So like reintroducing them to the world of personal human to human interaction, I think is going to be something that's like super important because we can't lose that as a society. And if we lose that, then we lose identity, lose self, you lose all these different things. So to us, that's like a super important thing. And I've actually seen apps that help facilitate that, like apps to where, you know, instead of looking around a restaurant and every couple is not even talking to each other, they're just looking at their phones, right? The app actually promotes you to put your phone down and rewards you for actually not looking at it and talking and have having real conversations. So stuff like this that we're doing is awesome. But Getting into some meta stuff here, fellas. This is great. What would you do? What did you do just before the podcast? It was just—it's pretty boring. I, I had a finance meeting and I took a shower. That's about it. Yeah. Took the kids to school um, and got ready for the podcast, pretty much. Yeah. So family life, and then just flip on the switch. Cool. Uh, what are you going to do after the podcast? We're gonna go out and crush, dude. Just like we do every day. Let's, yeah. <laughs> more specifically, yeah, we're gonna work on our portfolio stuff. Our uh, we're, we're, we're building an infrastructure for the NFT space that we're really excited about. So we've just been grinding on that every day. Incredible. I was going to make a comment about what you said, Jeremy, about fear. I really thought that was excellent. And I noticed this. It was just early today. My son, he's three years old. He plays this little game. We take turns. We pretend to be like a scared other kid. Like he says, Papa, pretend to be like afraid of me over there. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. And I'll, I'll be over there and he'll bring over toys to like show that he's nice, you know? And I, I, and he's been playing this game with me. It's something he wants to do over and over again. And then we take turns and he pretends to be afraid and I give him presents and, you know, and I thought this is incredible that he has this perception of other people having fear inside them, but to take the first step, right? To take the first step and like give something, right? To show that they don't have to be afraid of you. I thought how insightful that he's picking up on that so early. I think that's, so anyways, I really appreciate what you said about, you know, crushing that fear, fear, fear that we tend to have with each other, especially. Hey, us as parents have the, the biggest and, and toughest job in the entire world because kids by definition are just so pure, right? They're not, uh, they don't have their head filled with all these terrible ideas yet, right? Until they get a little bit older and then they're exposed to like what the world really is. So like it's on us as, as parents to instill these things in them in such a young age and to help them understand. It's like, I go on my daughter's, like, you know, one of my nine-year-old, um, you know, her, her zoom calls with her class, especially during COVID. And they're like, who wants to talk about entrepreneurship? I'm like, cool. I go on that class and I tell them what it's really like to be an entrepreneur and how they shouldn't be scared. They should go after their dreams and they should do all, you know what I mean? It's like any opportunity like that, that we can help shape the future and these kids to help them really get their minds right in terms of the things that are important. Like my daughter, I had her start her own business, you know, like she didn't know what she was doing. And I helped build a website on Wix and, you know, just helped her to become a little entrepreneur, which did something in her brain that helped her to understand like, oh, shoot, I can create, I can do something and I can make money because people are going to pay me if I create something. It's giving them a little taste of that is really important at this age for sure. So Kurt, Jeremy, it's been great having you guys on. Where can people go to learn more about you and the projects you're working on? Yeah. So uh, for me on Twitter, mostly, I would say nowadays, uh, just, I think that's the only place I have time to go to. Uh, so Jeremy underscore born B-O-R-N uh, is my Twitter handle. Uh, you can follow us, uh, you know, Bitcoin Origins, if you're interested in that project, you know, we're on Telegram, so you can look up Bitcoin Origins official, or you can also go to btcorigins.com. Uh, look at the hunt site if you want to learn more about what's going on, because we're about to release a Bitcoin. Somebody's about to find it. And, you know, this is one of several Bitcoin that we're going to release as a part of this project. So uh, it's pretty exciting stuff going on right now. Yeah. And also Clubhouse. Jay, Jay is pretty uh, active on Clubhouse. And he has, a, he has a show called The Nifty Tank there that I think is really great for NFTs. We do it, what, every Thursday now, Jay? Yeah, I think we do it every Thursday at 4.30 p.m. Pacific time. So, yeah, if you guys are interested, hit us up. And then, yeah, I totally forgot we have a podcast between me and Paul Jenkins as well. It looks like it's every other week because we're just too busy for every week. Uh, it's called NFT Sessions. The last one, you can look it up on YouTube. We did it with Mark Cuban. So we interviewed him. So that was a really fun one. We interviewed Too Much Lag, which is an incredible Nifty Gateway artist prior to that. So uh, just trying to give people in the space and artists a platform to be able to talk about what they're doing and, and tell their stories. Sounds awesome. We're going to check it out right away. Yeah. Thanks for having us guys. It's been pretty fun. 
right, guys, let's shift into hot topics. Unfortunately, we can't have our guests because we have such cool guests that are super busy and can't join us for things like this. Let's join our own hot topic discussion. So first thing on the list here, Mark Cuban, Joe Lubin invest in new NFT social platform, Nifties. Guys, what do you know about that? Well, first off, I think that the social layer to NFTs is something that's really important and not something that we've heard a ton about yet. Jeremy alluded to it earlier when we were talking with him about community and building community, but what, what does that really mean? And what's the interaction between fans of a particular uh, NFT or a particular subject? Um, how do they share their passion? How do they interact with each other? How do they bring other people into the fold, into the community? Uh, I, th I think there's an opportunity there that's huge, maybe even bigger than anything that's happening right now. Think Instagram level stuff, TikTok level stuff. So I'm not surprised to see Mark Cuban putting dollars into what I view as the next level of NFTs. Yeah, I mean, Mark Cuban, he got started collecting stamps, guys. He was a stamp collector. That was his thing. So for him to get excited about collectibles, this is bringing him back to what his passions were as a child, what got him into entrepreneurship. So. I think we're going to see a lot of Mark Cuban in this industry, and it's great to see the guys at, you know, NFT Genius working with Mark. I think he's thinking big about this and in trying to turn childhood memories and experiences and collecting into something much more experiential. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that he's kind of, in some ways, he might feel like he's lucking out here because he does have a background in all of this stuff. Like it's, it's not just because he's an entrepreneur, a savvy entrepreneur uh, that he's into this stuff. It, it vibes with what he understands and what he's into, you know, owning a sports team and understanding this sort of nostalgia and community and, you know, the stories behind all this stuff. So. Yeah. Gary Vaynerchuk also, right. Big time collector, garage sailor, dude, NFTs is what's going to enable him to buy the New York jets. Undoubtedly. It's that space. <laughs> I don't know if it would happen otherwise. I think NFTs is going to change it. We got to start putting our own projections out there so the world can support our us succeeding at buying a sports team of some sort or whatever. <laughs> if NFTs can help me buy the Lakers, dude, I will be done. <laughs> I've got an island in Argentina I'm trying to buy, so I'll just put that energy out there. Next thing on Hot Topics list is the SNL NFT track that dropped. Did you guys check that out? Do you want me to play it for you? I did. Let's check it out. Let's look. Hilarious. Yeah. Let me do this. Wow. Secretary Yellen, it, it was an honor to have you with us today. Wow. All right. I've, I've spent so many hours trying to explain NFTs to people and failed. I'm just going to direct them to that link in the future. In particular, Jack Harlow's little, uh, little verse there. Yeah, mic drop. I, I think we don't need the show anymore. Uh, they, they, <laughs> they took care of it. I got to figure out whether we're allowed to play even a clip of that during a podcast. I don't even know. I don't even know how it works. Well, I guess what I was going to say is it's interesting. You see how big things are getting when you see who's doing things about it, right? If I wouldn't necessarily expect the Internet Live to do a skit about NFTs and be introducing Janet Yellen into the equation this soon, I don't know, maybe a month from now or two months from now or something like that. So. I'm pretty impressed that they jumped on the topic as early as they did. And, or maybe it's just making me aware of how much uh, bigger the world that I think is small is, right? Yeah, the level of innovation happening in the space and the rate of it is just wild to me. I mean, where multiple projects are now working on asset-backed loans where you can like put your NFT up as collateral for a loan. I mean, this is wild stuff, guys. And it just keeps getting more interesting. Totally. I'm very curious too. I mean, this we're, we're sort of in a, in some sense, we're the beginning potentially of a booming period economically. A lot of people are comparing this time to, you know, the twenties. Right. And, uh, I don't know, just interested to see how, like how fast things are going to continue to move, how, rapidly the world is going to change and then you know the the, the, the ground's going to feel unstable in a good way in a bad way i don't know be, be very interesting to see what's next the next thing on hot topics is 
people's expensive NFTs keep vanishing. This is why. That sounds disconcerting. Does it matter? Well, it's like the NFT dirty little secret. And that's that most of the NFTs that people buy, the thing that they associate with purchasing doesn't actually exist on the blockchain. It's not immutable. It could change at any moment, right? You could pull the rug out from under the person that bought it uh, because that information, videos, images, et cetera, it takes up so much data that they don't store it on the blockchain, which would make these transactions and the storage fees super high. They store it somewhere else and it kind of the smart contract points to that location where these things are stored. So it's actually very, very centralized. So companies like Dapper Labs, for instance, hold all of that information for their top shots in a central server somewhere. And they're incentivized to not mess around with it and change it on people because they're in the business of selling NBA top shots. However, some folks aren't necessarily interested in building a long-term business. They're interested in you know, making a quick buck or disrupting the space, or maybe they actually run out of money and they don't have the ability to host the original NFT content anymore. And it kind of disappears. Makes me think of this. Uh, I pulled up an article about it just right now on Smith Smithsonian Mag. The subject line is, watch this $1.4 million Banksy painting shred itself as soon as it's sold. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely something there, right? Yeah, that was a cool one. That was cool to, cool to yeah. watch. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's, it's a reminder that uh, even all of the data that we store one day, it's all going to be just another big bang, you know, it's, it's, nothing is permanent. Um, and ownership is, is uh, fleeting, no matter, no matter how you cut it, even if it's digital. Unless you build on the Airweave blockchain, where every single thing you put in that storage system is permanent forever, can never be removed. Well, there's got to be computers to store it somewhere. Airweave? Not Airwave, Air, Airweave. So their whole thing is they're competing against Filecoin with an entirely different premise where you put this stuff on, on, on their protocol and it's never leaving. That's awesome. They got it figured out. Next up on our hot topics, Michael Jordan, Will Smith join $305 million funding round for NBA Top Shot Maker Dapper Labs. That's interesting. They're actually having the sports figures and celebrities be investing in the company. Yeah, not a surprise, man. That it is such a popular thing among NBA players and folks in sports. We've been talking about it. It's the leader as far as awareness is concerned in the mass population. And so I'm not surprised at all that those folks would join in, entertainers, actors, musicians, definitely athletes. Interesting. I think there's going to be a really interesting tension and a sort of exploration discovery process between these bigger projects that are backed by the NBA license versus individual players that want to sort of do things on their own and capitalize on their own likeness. And how do those two worlds fit together? Uh, we've seen Gronkowski and, and Adelman do their own NFT things. For a long time, we know about the sort of uh, debate in the UFC between the the fighters and, and the UFC as an institute and, and and from a monetary perspective is who owns one's likeness and who, who has the right to sort of do what they want with it. So I think that's going to be a really interesting play and in getting folks like this involved probably is going to fl help flush it out. It's also just the, the celebrity in the space and the things that are going on right, right now. And, and also watching those folks that were selling NFTs, you know, two years ago, and they were valued at $100 then, and they're valued at $200 now or whatever. I mean, it's, it, it's reminding me that no matter what the medium, people carry their brand with them. And all of these mediums are just another way to monetize. And not only is that how people are monetizing things, but that these people who do have the big brands, at least the ones that we're seeing now, are the ones that can act quick and know how to take advantage of the new mediums quickly. That's part of a brand that you can have. Um, I think it's fascinating to watch. 
you know what else is fascinating that these guys didn't sell a single top shot until even in their earliest private beta like july or august and that round puts them at a 2.6 billion dollar valuation that's crazy wow yeah the coinbase ipo is hundreds of billions of dollars too right it's it's forthcoming and i don't know if they've pegged the price yet on it i think the projection was something pretty substantial though pretty intense the last thing on the list is is not really a super hot topic but i just listened to the a16z podcast and they had an all about nfts episode something maybe worth checking out i listened to it the other day you know the, the folks that are investing in coinbase and and a lot of these uh open sea and interesting projects um it's it, it's not Andreessen and Horowitz themselves talking about NFTs, as with some of their episodes, they have uh, sort of cherry-picked representatives that can expound upon a specific topic talking about it. But uh, nevertheless, very interesting to check out. With that, should we should we wrap the episode? And yeah, let's wrap it. Another great one. So much content here. So many good nuggets of wisdom and things to research. Totally.